Hey everyone, and welcome to Jaffa Takes, the podcast where we rewatch Stargate and talk about it. Uh, I'm your host, Simon, and joining us today we have Eric. Hello. We have M. Hey. And we have Jimmy Dean. Hello. And today we're up, we're past the, 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 the peak of like badness that was emancipation and we can start the slow, the very slight slope downwards that is represented by Stargate SG1 season one, episode four, The Broker Divide, which is, to be fair, not, not a great episode either. It's not high art. Uh, it's at least watchable. It's kind of schlocky. It's fun. We're going to have a good time, everyone. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, let's just get right into it, I guess. Uh, so we open on a briefing scene where uh, General Hammond exposits to us that uh, from interrogating the Chulak refugees, which we know from a couple episodes ago that they all got back home, uh, some of them managed to identify the last four symbols of the gate address that Apophis dialed at the end of the pilot. Um and like re- removing the, the the final symbol, which is the the, the point of origin, uh, they that that leaves them with three, and the computer has come up with exactly one gate address that is from the the Abydos, uh map room that might be a match for this address. And uh, so, uh, but basically, long story short, this is a really long cold open to establish that they think that. Uh, this planet that they're going to go to, to today is wherever Apophis went, where they might find Sharae and Skara. Uh, it's not at all. It's, a, it's weird that they, they spent all this time uh, kind of faking their way into making us think that this is going to be uh, an arc episode, but it's not. It's, it's really just the planet of the week. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's they, a lot of talk. Yeah, they, sorry. Go ahead. They've been having those off screen. That's what yeah. this episode uh, kind of suggests. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's not what happened. And when we visit planet RV 59, which. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the series is too young for them to get away with that kind of behavior. <laughs> I, I agree with you. And like, we, we also said that last episode where they had this like anecdote about something kind of horny that happened on another planet that they started to tell. And that was literally the third episode of the series. How do you have these stories already? You've been together like a week on missions. It's weird. Um, I mean, at I- least say it was one of the other teams that did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, get, you have a bit more leeway if you said, like, SG4 or whatever did something. No, mm-hmm. no, I, I presume those other missions were great. I, I just presume that's where character development or development happens. Sure, mm-hmm. <laughs> it all happened off screen. Yeah, but no, it's, uh, I mean, I guess they go to, like, I don't know, if they, do they have a mission every weekday or something? Is there, do we see only, like, 
20% of the total activity that SG-1 gets up to? I don't know. It's not clear. Uh, apparently, like, most of the planets they go to is not very eventful. They just have, like, a routine mission there. Nothing happens, and they get they come back home. Nothing worth talking about, except sometimes referring to them in anecdotes. But you're right that if, if this was Season 2 or 3, it would make more sense to have here, here and there a reference to something we've never seen. Be- because, yeah, there hasn't been enough time for that to happen yet. Um uh, that's part of it. The, the other thing is that this uh, this briefing scene like uh, gives us two uh, exposition facts, three actually. Uh, one of them is that uh, the this planet is very dark wherever the Stargate is, and they don't see anything, so they don't know what they're walking into. And ooh, that's gonna that's that's gonna be scary. Even though that's not that important for the plot of this episode, it turns out it's just a thing about this planet we're gonna get to. Um, we we should the other thing. It, we should dissect Sorry. when you say when they say the planet is dark. I imagine mm-hmm. it it was pure darkness. When oh, they no. go to it's... the planet, it's night. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not even night. It's day for night. It's very bright, but with a dark blue filter on top of it. It's it's uh, extremely everything is extremely visible, and it seems like all this hype about it being extremely dark on there is really overblown. We, we built but part a- of it. We built a drone that can't see on this planet. Duct tape a flashlight to it. Uh-huh. Well, that, that's what that's what they say. Like the 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 probe has lights on it, and like they think it it didn't work, and something must have smashed the lights, or they were broken in the gate. Uh, spoiler alert! It's gonna. It's probably that the caveman found the thing and just smashed the thing with rocks. Because uh, they could see them. It's like you think <laughs> yeah. they would have to get within the range sne- of cameras for that. Yeah, you think that, but I guess these are smart, sneaky cavemen, which, you know, does go against everything that happens in this episode. Uh, but I mean, they I, just need to whatever. see the gate activate. They get drawn yeah. to it and smash whatever comes out. Yeah, also also the other thing is the Stargate is itself a huge spotlight. It may, it it creates... You know how when you leave a TV on, like to the input screen... It, it, let's say the input screen is blue or white and it's in a dark room, it lights up the entire room it's in. Same kind of deal, but the Stargate is much bigger than your TV, unless you have a really gigantic TV. Um, so you think that just the light of the Stargate would illuminate the area and make them see everything, but uh, no, you don't get that. The Yeah, so that that that's point one. Point two is that we see SG-3, which for, I think, the first time in this scene... And SG-3 is a marine team, and this is something that they established right away, uh, led by a Colonel Makepeace, which is a recurring character who we're going to see a bit more of in the coming uh, episodes and seasons. I'm not sure he actually shows back up in season one, but he's uh, established at this point as the leader of uh, of SG-3. Uh, we also see that there's this guy Johnson who uh, kind of in this briefing he kind of like stares at Teal. Can you get the feeling that he doesn't like him very much? And he kind of like not growls at him quite, quite, but he is he's apparently very very nervous about Teal's presence and doesn't trust him. Because Why of the whole... is there one team of Marines? I I, I don't know. Everyone else is Air this, Force. There's just yeah, I, one team of Marines. This is, I guess, this is like them trying to be bicameral or something. This is just a different branch of the army there to check on on them and kind of like make sure that I'm, I'm gonna the ask Air the, Force doesn't. I'm going to ask the obvious sorry. question: Are uh-huh. is there a Stargate team for every branch of the military? Is there a I Coast don't Guard team? I, I don't know that we them. see a Coast Guard or a Navy. SG team or 
even an army. An army, yeah. I, I think it's just actually three Marines, and that's repeated a bunch. We do see the Navy assisting them, like, in one of the movies, the DVD movies, and I think earlier in the series when there's stuff happening with the sub and, like, the Navy has to be involved in that. So it's not, it's not like the other branches don't exist, but I think uh, in the... In the SGC base itself, you have the Air Force and then SG-3, which is Marines, for some reason. What? Uh, maybe they have some kind of specialty that the other teams lack and that only the Marines had. I don't know. Um, I, I, yeah. Like, what missions would you delineate to the, or, you know, to the, the Marine SG team? Uh-huh. Like, the, the well, Marines, it, their entire thing is that they're, the like, the brute force on the ground killing side of the army. Uh-huh. Well, I mean that that does that does follow with what this episode, or at least this cold open, uh, is saying, which is they think this is going to be the big deal mission where they need like uh, grunt support, and that that's why they have the SG three Marines going with them for like to to back them up and in case they need to start shooting at Jafas and stuff, uh, and I guess that's the whole point of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and uh, like you see right away that there's some kind of anonymity be- between everything. And uh, like uh, Makepeace says, "Oh, we're going to be watching your your backsides," and Daniel says, "Actually, it's our front sides that we're worried about because we're sp- stepping through the gate." Ha ha ha! Uh, this is this might be like the Air Force consultants' way of poking fun at another uh, branch of the armed forces or something by making them to be kind of dumb and. Uh, not 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 even kind of dumb, just kind of get in the way and uh, like they don't they don't help much of anything in this episode. They're they're just there and they turn into like virus fodder when the shit hits the fan later in the episode. Uh, so it doesn't. It's not like it matters all that much for this episode. Uh, and also, spoiler alert: SG three seems like whenever they need an SG team to just suck on this show. I think they often go back to SG3 as the designated stupid team that does bad shit. And uh, it's always fun. And it's always like, yes, Marines, boo Marines. I, w- I wonder how people who were in the Marines feel about this show, knowing that. Is SG3 <laughs> yeah. the war for the show that they're there to get beat up to show that there's a threat? Yeah, well, I mean, Tilk does that too. Also, in this episode, actually, I guess Daniel gets the brunt of that. He he gets like the shit kicked out of him a bunch. But um, let's uh, let's put it out there: if you are a member of SG three, please mm-hmm. <laughs> send us an email. <laughs> yeah, Colonel Makepeace. Uh, first of all, how how did that go? Did you how how much peace did you make uh, over your tenure at the SGC? That that seems like a really on the nose name for a character, but there you go. Uh, also. Well, there's stuff stuff about his character that comes up later that I we shouldn't mention now because that's and that's entering spoiler territory. Um, so yeah, uh, so they 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 gear up in front of the Stargate. Uh, they have night vision goggles. O'Neill uh, asks the pointed question that how come the mouth doesn't have uh, night vision on it, which is on another good point. Uh, that presumably can't get smashed by rocks. I, I guess the camera could anyway, but I don't know. Uh, also, like, yeah, he tells SG3 to just hang back and count to 10 before they step through the gate uh, to let them, like, scout ahead. And Daniel, like, kind of talks to him on the side and says, uh, you sure about that? I thought the point of having them there was to uh, 
to essentially be cannon fodder if in case we need it. And uh, O'Neill tells him, well, suppose we step through the gate and your wife and Skara are literally standing right there on the other side of the gate and these knuckleheads start shooting. We're going to all feel real bad about that, so we should probably go first. And that seems like a real weird edge case that O'Neill is preparing for there. I don't know why they would be hanging out directly in front of the Stargate unless it's a really tiny planet. Uh, but yeah, anyway, that that's... Also, That's a concern, you know, the I guess. Air Force is just so well known for their discretion and not oh, yeah. resorting to brute to extra brute force immediately. Yeah, yeah I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like the 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 renowned stealth units of the U- U.S. Armed Forces. It's like the Navy SEALs, right? And they're not involved in this in any way. Do you, uh, do you so mean I the Army know. Rangers? Oh yeah, Army Rangers also another branch of the of the military we don't see at all on this show. Um, <laughs> but, so I guess yeah. The, oh, you can know the Sorry. people who would make the most sense going to land to other planets by walking. Uh huh. No, they 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 have they have the grunts and also the plane people stepping through this thing to another planet. So that's that's the people they send over. Um, uh, O'Neill has a little fun. He like slashes uh, Zoro kind of zigzag in the, to the target before he steps through. Um, th- there's a thing. Th- it might be time once again for our weekly "How the hell do stargates work?" column because <laughs> Make Peace sticks the tip of his gun through the stargate and starts counting Mississippi's essentially or one thousands. Uh, yeah. to for to to count for the ten seconds that O'Neill told him to wait, and I guess I guess the implication is that by sticking his gun through it, he's preventing the gate from closing. Question mark? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's not explained in any way. Uh, but I guess that's the the what makes the most sense, unless he's just got got some kind of weird uh, curiosity slash fetish he had about sticking only the tip of his gun through the Stargate and then shooting just to wonder if the, the other end of his gun is going to shoot uh, at the other side of the galaxy for some kind of technical uh, long-distance assault rifle shooting accuracy record or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, all of that, every single thing we've mentioned turns out f- to be for absolutely nothing because uh, they step through the Stargate. It is, as mentioned, uh, it's day for night, so we can see pretty well that there are once again in the woods surrounding the Vancouver, Canada. Uh, the map is there, and uh, as they look at it, they realize, yeah, uh, there's rocks on it and stuff, and so something kind of s- just smashed the lights with, with some rocks. Um, they put on the night vision goggles and start looking around, uh, they see some mysterious shapes shaking around in the brush and stuff, and then like a bunch of cavemen jump out of the forest and start mauling them, <laughs> to, to throwing it to the ground. And we almost have to start a little counter of like Daniel doesn't die in this episode, but he d- sure d- does get beat up a, a bunch of times, and this is the first time he he gets the the brutally. Uh, attacked by these people on this planet and then like after those 10 sec sorry i don't know too much about cavemen i would not say i was a caveman Mm -hmm. expert by any margin uh no but but i seem to remember that cavemen are so strong that they should effectively Mm -hmm. kill daniel the moment they're on him 
I mean, they'd be able to. So it's not very clear. So, like, first of all, these are not actual cavemen. These are humans that have a virus that make them, like, regress to caveman-like qualities, I guess. So they're, they're not Neanderthals or whatever else uh, they're talking about. I guess the Neanderthals are what gets, gets name-dropped and referenced as the thing that we're looking at. Uh, they, yeah, I, I guess they were physically stronger, but also they lived their whole lives in nature and whatever. And these are just sick people, so they're they started off as uh, humans of normal strength, I guess. But like like a, a a mob of people, if they like gang up and physically assault you, they're gonna fuck you up real bad. Um, but the, what saves them is that, yeah, SG-3 steps through the Stargate, starts shooting their guns into the air um, to disperse these cavemen, so it's a good thing that these these um, these Marines had the, 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 the presence of mind to step through this thing and immediately uh, grok that we're looking at some kind of non-coordinated assault on uh, on SG-1 that can be scared off by firing their guns into the air and not... Yeah, it's uh, weird like, how often that ambush. works. Uh-huh. It does work. I mean, it, it would work for animals, presumably. Most types of animals that have a behavior we're familiar with, anyway. And with, like, these, these uh, wild humans. But, uh... Yeah, it does work. So that that was the right call. And like, remember, I guess I guess Teal'c sees them doing that, or like knew that tactic would work because he's gonna remember that as the the way to disperse these people for later in the episode. Um, as someone who has been around people like practice firing firearms, they're incredibly mm-hmm. loud. You don't need to uh-huh. shoot off ten bullets. One no, would work. I they're know. so loud. Yeah, they, it probably would. It would scare the pants off of anyone, even if you don't know what a gun is. Uh, it sounds if, like thunder or whatever. Yeah, and, if, yeah. if you've regressed to caveman status, effectively, <laughs> someone has held up a little rod and thunder <laughs> has come out of it. Yeah, so that's scary. You don't want that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, we're going to get to... Uh, the 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 issue of the week later for for now the problem is caveman attacked them what that's weird they're on a night planet uh so yeah they, after they've dispersed SG one gets back up O'Neill gets sarcastic and says yeah okay I'm fine thanks for asking uh they look at the I guess I guess one of them died or was hit by a bullet or passed out or was knocked out in the melee or something it's not clear. Because there's one of them right there whose uh, eyes are closed that we could get a good look at, and it's is that the hairy one face that tried attacking Tilk. <laughs> Tilk just like killed him barehanded, I guess. Maybe I don't know. Um, yeah, so hairy face, big teeth. Oh, we got a caveman here. That's weird. Uh, as we cut to the opening credits, right? Isn't um, that weird? You did see one on Chulak. Oh yeah, that is. Yeah, okay. Yes, thank you for bringing this up. <laughs> I genuinely wonder, first of all, when they wrote that character, if they had their drafts for first season episodes, like in the chamber, and if they thought they they were gonna make some kind of link between this character and this episode. Uh, nothing of the sort is stated on the show ever. Uh, it can be a headcanon that this guy had this virus and. For some magical reason, no one else got it in the pilot, even though it seems to spread alarmingly quickly. I mean, he could, uh, he could have episode. come from this planet. They're, they're going to say it in a couple scenes that the Gavold haven't been here in for a generation. Yeah, 
But I mean, the virus could exist on other planets. Yeah. That's that's that that's not. It doesn't prevent that from being true either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the that, that's the one hook you might get from this episode to something else. Well, there's a there's like one more for later. It's it's really small, but um, anyway, uh, we get back. Uh, t- you, we get back to the show from the from the, the opening uh, credits. Uh, they come up to a camp of these cavemen around the campfire, and they look at them a little bit, and they ask anthropologist Daniel Jackson, who is not only versed in ancient cultures, but but also prehistoric ones, because he looks at them and recognizes, starts uh, name dropping hominid uh, names. Like the, the, he's wondering, they they don't quite look right for Homo erectus, maybe Australopithecus, um, not quite Homo sapien. Uh, this should all be kind of moot anyway. But like I mean, based on the backstory that we know of with Ra, who came to ancient Egypt, like it would have been way too late in human history for any pre-Homo sapien hominid races to have been taken to space and somehow continue evolving independently on a different planet. Uh, not like it matters, he's just hypothesizing at this point. Uh, but he's, he's, you know, he's just pointing out, hey, these are cave people, and he's just using science words to say that. Uh, and also, there's a scared young lady there who's kind of like just being really roughly manhandled by these cavemen. Um, and Carter says, yeah, uh, we should stop that from happening. And Daniel, once again, God damn you, says, no, we should let this happen for anthropology and stuff, right? Because that's, that's how, uh, you know, all sex was raped back in those days, and we, should, we shouldn't interfere or anything, even though we've just said this lady isn't a cave lady at all. Um, the prime directive must be respected. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. This is exactly the shit he pulled last episode to justify Carter being essentially sold into slavery eventually. So, fuck off, Daniel, please. Like, I mean, can if, you just shut up? If they're going to act like they've had so many different excursions, they should probably uh-huh. have, like, you know... Policy uh, in place for this by now? You would uh-huh. think... Yeah, but I mean, it's just U.S. military policy, which is do whatever you w- you want because we're the protagonists of the universe. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, the so Carter says, "Yeah, uh, fuck off! I'm going to stop this." And O'Neill like for- formally tells her not to and to stay there. I think he's less worried about uh, interfering in their culture than he is about getting their shit kicked in by by this mob of cavemen which is at least pragmatic. Um, but uh, they're interrupted by a bunch of rocks being tossed at these people um, <laughs> and dispersing them. Uh, and we see there's a bunch of people wearing... Can uh, you, you, like, please describe. Please describe what this group of people uh, look like. They're wearing... Uh, it's uh, not quite hazmat suits, but like some kind of sterile suit that really doesn't fit with everything we see about these people and where they live in a minute. Uh, it's like all white. Uh, I, I don't know, like they don't look like clan hoods or anything, but they are like medical-ish kind of things so, that are all white. Have you seen when the Power Rangers had ninja powers? Yes. <laughs> yes they look it's, like the white ninja that. ranger. Oh, yeah, white ninjas. That's that's a good point. That's a a point of comparison. Um, but yeah, they they look like some kind of modern uh, biohazard uh, 
team or whatever, like has some kind of like limited form of hazmat, which really doesn't fit with how these people are essentially ancient Greeks, as we're going to see them in, in a minute. So they have, they're just like Greeks plus germ theory, I guess, but not enough that they know this is a virus, but enough that they know about sterile clothing, weirdly enough. I don't know. But not um, enough that the one guy takes off his mask. Yeah, no, he does take off his mask so we can present himself as the untouched. Uh, this is High Counselor Tuplo, who, I'm just going to say it right now, this is one of those character actors you you might be wondering, where have I seen this guy? Uh, have you seen the 2006 seminal classic Snakes on a Plane? He's the dude that gets eaten whole by a boa constrictor in that one scene. Uh, this is probably the most the thing he's most famous for. Uh, he's also a voice actor. Uh, he's going to show up as a rubber head alien later in this season also. Um, but yeah, in, he, in here, he plays uh, the leader of this community, I guess. Uh, they Okay, so yeah, these people do what, what they always do. And they kneel and assume that these are the golds and they got to worship them. Um, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, the lady is like, oh, maybe this is some kind of test to make sure like, ah, that, to, that we listen to them and we should treat them as humans and bullshit, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, the, the culture of these people is really not really the center of this episode. Neither is the fact that we're going to see in a second that this planet is apparently tidally locked, which, uh, if you don't know what that means, uh, this is like what the moon is to Earth, which is the same uh, face of the moon is always facing Earth. So this planet is apparently like that for their sun. So one half of the planet is always daytime. The other half is always nighttime. And the Stargate is apparently very close to the line on the night side because it's within walking distance. Um, Shouldn't that make the planet basically uninhabitable? Yeah, that's another thing. Like, we've mentioned how Chulak has two suns, and that shouldn't be possible to live there. This is another thing where, like, one side of the planet would be unbearably hot all the time, and the other side would be unbearably frozen all the time, and it would cause gigantic hurricanes because of the temperature differential and stuff like that. So, yeah, good point. Uh, also, this is sci-fi, and this is fun space adventures, and stargates don't exist, so it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good point. And once again, it doesn't really matter at all for this episode. The yeah, only it's thing weird to just drop something that kind of high concept in the middle yeah. of a plot that where it has nothing to do with anything. No, yeah, they, they they kind of wasted that instead of putting it in a more high sci-fi episode. This is kind of just a schlocky episode about a caveman virus, and also the planet is like that for some reason. Uh, the reason is so that we know what that the. Uh, they toss their infected people on the dark side, so we know that if we're on the dark side, it's dangerous, and light side is not dangerous, apparently. But also, they don't uh, do anything to keep them on the dark side? Like, it's No, it's... I guess, like, caveman instincts means that they don't go back to the light side because it's scary or something? I don't know. Uh, it's not explained. <laughs> well, I think they just don't like light, which is why they also broke the lights on the... Yeah, that's possible. That would make sense. It Maybe and they get more does it, does photosensitive. It sense? <laughs> I mean, as, as long Guess. as we're coming up with fake theories on why things are the way they are in this episode. Uh, it's like, just like the I Am Legend disease where they hate light. Uh-huh. Yeah, something like that. Yes, I Am they're Legend. Not actually, but... They're not actually cavemen. They're all, they're all just morbid out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to date us with the Morbius joke just because. Yes. 
Yes. You're either going to date us or not date us at all, and I don't know which one is scarier. It's either all Morbin all the time from here, baby, or next week no one even remembers what Morbius was. There's no middle ground between these two. Um, I'm going back through uh, High Counselor Tuplo's IMDb, uh and he was also the voice of Scarab in Mummies Alive. Oh, there you go. The very, yeah, memorable uh, 90s cartoon about mummies that was like TMNT but mummies. Am I I right on that? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, kinda. Yeah. A little yeah. bit more Power Ranger y than TMA. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was like mid to late nineties, so it was a little bit after the first wave of that, I guess. Yeah, uh, it was I also really on the Dark Stalkers cartoon. Oh nice. Yeah, like like I said, uh voice actor almost more than the character actor, that guy. Um his name is Gerard Plunkett. Um I know him yeah. most from Wrongfully Accused. The oh. Leslie Nielsen spoof of The Fugitive. Yes. yes. Underrated movie. You should at least watch, look up on YouTube the scene where that's the spoof of The Fugitive scene where he comes up with a fake identity by looking at stuff in the room. And uh, he's in a fishing shop and he Mr. just says things that are related to fishing. It's pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> Down at the uh, Yuralaga River by Rapala. <laughs> By uh yeah something around somewhere around men's room or something like that because he saw the, so, the, the fishing the for some sign. salty dog shrimp. <laughs> Eric, I love how how much you remember a movie just off the top of your head like that. That's why you're better than me at the box office game. I watched um, that movie a lot, and I have it on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I saw it once, so that's enough for me to remember that that's the funniest scene in the movie. But. Uh, I, also, yeah, the, the part where he's being stalked by the train in the forest is also funny. I've uh, never <laughs> seen it. Instead, I put my that energy into watching Dracula Dead and loving it. Oh, yeah. That another Leslie Nielsen. That's a good movie. Another late Leslie Nielsen <laughs> classic. Like, these were two of the final movies he was ever in, uh, along with, like, Naked Gun 33. Um, my um, brothers and I watched it enough that we would just occasionally go, no tip. <laughs> Uh, anyway, like I alluded to before, uh, we're in Greek town, y'all. We get we go to a big old Greek temple with big bull's heads and uh, not quite Greek columns. Because, well, I mean, the ones on the outside are like round and orange, but the ones on the inside are like square. So I guess it's uh, whatever it- ionic. I don't remember the three fucking type of columns that for some reason everyone learned in history class. Ionic, um, Dork, and Corinthian. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the square ones don't have a name. I guess it was invented on an alien planet. It's a different thing. It's the Guauldians uh, columns. They look like uh, those things you vault over in gym class. Yeah. So it's, it's that not one sta- room, but it's orange this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly the same set as... Uh, well, it's mo- most obviously the same as the banquet hall we saw in the pilot where they went and bowed and like where they first saw uh, Sharae as a gold. Uh, it's also the same set as the, the, the cell pit from that episode. And it's, it's one of their few interior sets that they often put an alien Stargate on. Uh, it's very obvious that they've just redressed that space. Um, 
Yeah, another thing is that it's never stated in this episode, but the fact that it's all Greek-looking, Daniel is going to specify Minoan, which is one of the Isles of Greece. Uh, That tells us that it's probably a Cronus planet that he doesn't go to anymore, because, like, they they don't... The gold aren't there. so the Cronus is a gold we're going to meet in season three, but uh, I guess he's being kind of weirdly foreshadowed here by us knowing that there's a Greek planet. Uh, and also, like I didn't mention in the previous episode, there's also a Chinese gold that who's named Yu, and Mongolia being right next to China would make you think that maybe the planet from last episode was controlled by Yu. I don't know if you can really call those foreshadowing, though, so much no, as it's, something it, that very it, retroactively kind of fits yeah, the later it, established lore. Yeah, exactly. It's something that you can backfill in with later knowledge. Uh, it's just fun to do as someone who's seen all of Stargate. It, it's also fun because those two that I just mentioned, and Nirti, who's the third gold, uh, Nirti is going to get explicitly mentioned by name later in the season, and like that means that all three of them would have some somewhat been, you know... Not set up, but you can go back to season one and see that uh, there were presences that were like important names among the gold if you fill backfill the, the, these episodes with uh, future knowledge. Uh, but yeah, just a, a small point. Uh, Daniel is really like not obsessed, but he's really impressed by how many bulls are in this place, and he keeps mentioning it. <laughs> and he's going to be like, damn, bulls, like Minoa, like in on Minoa, the place with the Minotaur. He doesn't say the Minotaur, but that's that's why, you know, bulls and Minoans are so associated, because uh, that's that's where the labyrinth was in mythology. Um, now, if you remember so, in the movie, he's from Chicago. He, he, he's also from Chicago? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> O'Neill is from Chicago, the, the city of the bulls, yes. as we know, in, in a couple Daniel episodes. Also from there? I don't... I thought Daniel was at least Daniel? he was giving the presentation. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't know that that's ever stated wh- where he was from. the The place he was giving his talk in the movie looked a little bit like New York, but we only saw a street of it or whatever, so I couldn't tell. Like we we do know that's from um, yeah, we know from a season two episode that he was present as a child in the New York Museum of Art because his parents worked there or something. So like maybe can assume that he's from New York, but I don't think it's uh, explicited any deeper right. than that. Right, that's my, mis- my mistake. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, but O'Neill is definitely from Chicago. It's going to be stated a bunch. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, they, they sit around the table. Uh, they they said that the lady that they rescued from uh, Caveman Camp uh, up on their pedestal, surrounded by big bull's heads with their horns over uh, above her, um, which they they're gonna later call the isolation circle or or something, doesn't seem very isolated. For as much as they wore these sterile looking clothes, uh, that that's, that's not isolating her from anything. It's just in the open air. Um, I guess it's to, to this is more of a psychological kind of isolation to make people know not to go there. Um, so. We get our exposition of the actual point of this episode at this point, which is uh, these these people who are fine over here in the light are are called the untouched, and the cavemen over in the dark are called the touched. And sometimes they are cursed, and they turn into the touched. Um, um, and that's it, really. That that that's all they say. Uh, O'Neill asks them, "When was the last time the gods came?" and uh, 
And the the lady says, well, we thought you were them, but uh, if you're not, it's been, like, super long. Uh, it, I don't know, for generations, no one remembers. Uh, and, like, O'Neill says, basically, okay, well, okay, there's no golds here. Uh, these people have no technology that we can use, and also cavemen, and so we should probably just go home now, uh, which Daniel isn't happy with. Uh, before uh, <laughs> we get too far ahead of this, I want to briefly talk a... Yeah. I really don't like the whole touched untouched thing that just oh yeah that's leans real close to some real shitty real shitty yeah mental health stuff yeah it's it makes you think of untouchables and like yep. india that were the lepers and stuff so yeah that that that's that calls that kind of language to mind and it's going to be like even more explicit later uh yeah. the, like these people like you get you know it's not yeah, it's it's just what once you get sick or cursed, uh, you're ex- essentially an outcast from this society, as is obvious. Uh, yeah, that sucks. Uh, I mean, they're they're not going to solve these people's cultural problems. They're going to solve their medical problem by the end of this episode. So it's not going to be a thing anymore on this planet. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's uh, maybe you could be more compassionate towards your sick. Uh, so, people on this planet. So as, as as much as I love you know the scientists and the nerds and all that, uh, at this mm-hmm. point in the episode, I explicitly agreed with O'Neill. <laughs> I was like, get, get I mean, the, get the team together and leave. You're you have one express yeah. purpose, Jackson. Find your wife. Uh-huh. You don't have time yeah. to analyze the culture of the bulls. Get back yeah. in the gate and go to another yeah. world. Yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah you're right uh their mission m- more broadly is to find good uh, technology that can help them or something uh nothing here that they've seen tells them there's going to be any help so yeah fuck it we're going home uh, one also, thing like, if we had any evidence that they have other anthropologists on staff yeah that, no like, it's just Daniel. about that someone else could go there and do that but yeah I think it's implied at some point that all DSG teams have some kind of cultural expert on staff, but it's not. We don't, don't see. Think we we ever certainly see don't see that. Y- yeah, we don't see that yet. Certainly, it, uh, there's there's going to be other nerdy like scientist characters on the show later on that are recurring that are kind of like comic relief. It would uh, make a lot yeah. of sense if SG One was the initial team through. They left, and yeah. then SG Seven was just the anthropology yeah. team. Yeah, that would that would make more sense. That would be more like how uh, departments are set up in an organization like this in real life, for sure. <laughs> you send whatever specialists are needed on your specific planet. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, uh, they get back. Uh, Hammond asks them, so what's up? What happened? And O'Neill says, ah, nothing. And O'Neill says, no, wait, no, not nothing. We saw a bunch of interesting stuff. And O'Neill says, yeah, nothing that we, the US Air Force, gives a shit about. Sorry. Daniel is once again very upset at this. And he, they go to the debriefing. Um, <laughs> and Daniel says, yeah, we could have learned so much about Minoans by looking at how many bulls they have. And like, what's, what's up with the bulls anyway? I just really want to know about the bulls. Um. Uh, yeah. No. He also says he drops some. He he mentions the title of the episode, which is the Broca Divide, which is what he wants to study, which is apparently the name of a concept in uh, evolutionary neurology uh, about 
their the the development of the frontal cortex or whatever like the brain of homo sapiens is ver- versus other hominid species um and he, he he tells us who pierre paul Broca was who was a french uh neurologist from the eighth from the 19th century and as soon as he said these sentences in combination a little like bell and flashlight went off in my head that said warning warning danger and i looked him up on wikipedia and first of all uh this guy broke up uh, legit neurologist he figured out a bunch of how the brain works uh, there's an area of the brain named after him uh serious good science stuff uh he also wrote a bunch about phrenology and bullshit and thought that black people were inferior because of the size of their heads so also fuck him and <laughs> Daniel, like when he says stuff like that, uh, really feels like he should have um, looked it up more and uh, tried not to ex- accidentally, you know, uh, mention theories that uh, awful racists uh, espouse. Listen, he spends Daniel- a lot of time talking Evo Psych in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Jackson just loves the Broken Divide. You know who else loves the Broken Divide? President Bill Clinton, and he wants to know more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because the president called them and said, no, no, yeah, I really want to know all about these bulls and cavemen. That sounds really cool, man. Uh, Wow, this is even worse than my previous Bill Clinton impression. I'm really sorry, everyone. By the end of season one, you're really going to be dialed in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. My bet Tell is, me about the is caveman. Uh, Bill Clinton heard something about the Bulls, presumed they mm-hmm. found more information about the Chicago Bulls, and went, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, this was, this was right on the tail end of Michael Jordan media. This was right before Space Jam, or thereabouts, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so it was, it was the height of the passion for the Bulls. Um, anything, uh, yeah, so... Yeah. Anything, you can, anything you can find to help the Dream Team... Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, more generally, uh, what Clinton apparently said is, if you find interesting cultural stuff, it's all it's also worth uh, investigating, not just uh, military technology or anything. Uh, if you you know, because it could be a fun way to learn about the origins of mankind and stuff like that of civilization. So, point for Daniel: the stuff he cares about is being valued by the president. Um, <laughs> But uh, this discussion is cut short as uh, Lieutenant Johnson, the guy we saw giving Teal the stick, stink, eye, stink eye earlier, is now really openly staring at him and kind of just shaking and sweating and breathing hard through his nose. He, it, he eventually just gets up and like grabs him by the lapel and basically, uh, yeah, the, the talks shit to him. Uh, he he threatens the Tilk's gold larva with death. He said, "I want to rip that thing out of you and snap its neck." And Tilk remains very calm and says, uh, "Please let me go. Please don't do this." Uh, everyone else kind of yells at him. Make peace. Who is his superior officer? Tells him, "Hey, come on, man. Just let him go. What are you doing?" Um, Johnson demands an apology from Tilk for being a Goa'uld, which is once again. Uh, Lots of weird different racisms in this room at this point. Uh, worth mentioning, uh, Johnson is himself also black, so it's a human and gold racism I'm referring to having nothing to do with uh, Teal'c also being a black man. I mean, um, if we want to get into weird racism, there's the fact that, hey, who's the first person to succumb to the caveman virus? Oh, it's the oh, yeah, it's, one it's black a, it's marine. It's a black guy. Yeah, to, 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 to sell it to us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good point. 
uh, he, he gets uh, irrationally violent. Uh, and like he tries to punch Teal. Teal just uh, catches his fist and like kind of just do, does a submission hold on him on the table to hold him down. Uh, very calmly tells Hammond that he would prefer not to hurt him. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, security comes up and grabs him. Uh, Hammond goes up to him and yells in his face, what the fuck is wrong with you? And you see him trying, starting to foam at the mouth and stuff. So, oh no, uh, something really is very wrong with this guy. And they t- take him to the infirmary, and uh, shit is just gonna hit the fan from here on out because we have an out of control virus episode. Everyone, I'm, it's on I'm, the base now. I'm gonna spoiler, but something in the next scene is is maybe <laughs> one of the dumbest things I hear in the episode. I'm very ready for us <laughs> yeah. to talk about it. Yeah, because r- r- so right after they took the guy who was foaming at the mouth, enraged, and took him to the infirmary. Uh, Carter and Daniel are just back to business as usual in the gate room, taking readings or something, and just chatting about their day. And Daniel's like, huh, I wonder what that was about. That was weird. And Carter says, I don't know, maybe he was drunk. <laughs> wow. Maybe that, he that was is... drunk. Uh-huh. S- Samantha Carter, give your doctorate back. <laughs> Wherever you got it, go back and give it to them. Yeah. And Daniel d- does point it out that, uh, no, that's not what it's not, what it seemed like at all. Have you ever seen a drunk person, Carter? That's not, that's not right. Um, the doesn't leap, have much more. Sorry. The, the leap in that logic, because we know what happened. They came back and then they, they had like, what, 10 minutes before a debrief? So did yeah. she think Johnson just went to his barrack and just started pounding vodka? Yeah, you, yeah, and also you just came back from Caveman Planet. Maybe think about that for a second. Maybe there's something there, you know. They're in a um, bunker that, in the mountain. There's not a lot to do. Yeah. <laughs> Except you know, yeah, hard drink. We, we have a really uh, serious grave uh, drinking problem. They're in the um, Rockies. They get back from a mission. You know, mm-hmm. crack open yes. a Coors, taste yep. the Rockies. Yeah. All right. Uh, we don't have much more time to worry about that because the next thing that happens is two people are uh, coming to blows in the in the briefing room upstairs, and they're kind of wrestling at each other. And eventually, they toss one of them tosses the other one, who grabs like they both come tumbling through the window and fall two floors down into hard con- onto hard concrete. Uh, and like they go and check up on them, and they seem to be dead. So that's real bad. Um, Carter Shouldn't takes up the phone. Should that be made of thicker glass? Yeah, I mean, you think that the glass that is directly adjacent to the Stargate that causes an earthquake every time it opens up would maybe be reinforced and not uh, bound to break from uh, just the strength of two men wrestling next to it. Wow, um, like some guys wearing snake heads would just come through and start shooting weapons that could go through yeah, glass? Yeah, or, or exactly. send a through or something, you know, like all the Stargate, the usual Stargate things that happen. Uh, eventually, you know, the gravity of a black hole is going to come out th- from the Stargate. That's going to be a problem. You need strong glass for that. Uh, <laughs> um... So yeah, uh, they check up on these people who seem to be dead, as I said. Uh, Carter goes up to uh, for the phone to, to call some medics to the gate room, and you see her kind of scratching her neck as, as she hangs up the phone. And immediately, 
hard cut to the the locker room where O'Neill is coming, I guess, out of a shower. Before we and- get to the before we get to that scene, I would just like to uh-huh. say it's like people are acting weird, and you see somebody scratching your neck. Mm-hmm. That at that point, then you go into full lockdown. Even before the yeah. virus, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. neck scratching. Get old, shut everything down. <laughs> But but also you might think that it's going to be gradual, especially when it's one of the main characters of the show. It's not going to cut straight to her being crazy. Uh, but no, so because the very next scene is like O'Neill is like getting dressed after taking a shower, and Carter is there. She slams his locker shut. Uh, she's wearing like nothing but a tank top and I don't know pants probably, but we don't see it. And she looks at him with the horniest look a woman has ever given a man. Um, and so I haven't just... looked at the co- too thoroughly at the credits, but uh-huh. I just have a feeling that someone in the costume department here went to work on Battlestar Galactica. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> because you know that, that's a Kara Thrace outfit. Oh yeah, it's it's very much a, a tank top uh, that is, let's say, flattering to a woman's body shape. Um, it's this, you know, last episode she was in a, a in a nice blue dress, and and all the guys were like going googly eyed crazy at her, and this is even hornier than that. She's just, she's just basically uh, kind of in a porn setup scenario there, because uh, she like yeah, she she stares at him, and immediately leaps on him, and plants a kiss on his lips, and like forcefully, and like she says she wants him and stuff, and it's like whoa, coming out a uh, little strong. Um, and O'Neill, like, uh, like, yeah, he doesn't fall for it or anything. He's like, no, wait, something's really wrong here. Uh, this is weird. And she tosses him down to a bench and keeps kind of like forcing herself on him. Um, he's not into it. He kind of tosses her to the ground. He manages like to get on top of her, but like, uh, to subdue her, not sexy like or anything. I guess he, uh, just subdues her and manages to drag her off to the infirmary where she's strapped down to uh, a gir- uh, a table or a bed or something. Uh, I don't know how they changed her into hospital uh, clothes before strapping her down there, but apparently they did because uh, she's wearing these blue uh, scrubs uh, from here on out as she's t- uh, strapped to that bed. And we see uh, the introduction of a new character here who is uh, Dr. Janet Fraser, who's going to be actually the main doctor character that we're going to have for most of this series uh, I'd say of the non-main cast members she has easily the most appearances on this show um, oh yay first first episode she's in and she's called in to deal with the weird caveman virus threat <laughs> uh, and she's already like pretty much overwhelmed because uh, like O'Neill asks her, "So what's going on? Is this the same stuff that everyone's having? Is is this thing spreading?" And she's like, "Oh yeah, uh, this is getting out of hand." We see like two other people in the infirmary. Um, Fraser takes O'Neill on a, a walk through, I guess, the holding like rooms. The infirmary has the equivalent of padded cells, but. They're, they're, I don't know, they're, they're essentially cells that they've stuck a bunch of the violent, uh, touched people through into, I guess, uh, including Johnson, who's like kind of just grunting as, at his, uh, bed that he's taken the mattress off of and he's kind of just, I don't know, upset at his bed or something. And, uh, Fraser's exp- explaining, yeah, so, uh, it seems like everyone is, uh, getting weird and like regressing mentally and she says that they're starting to 
develop a brow ridge and having more hair grow, which, you know, I don't know how the virus could actually affect the shape of their skull. Uh, just go with it, I guess, because it makes them also look like cavemen. Especially once we get an actual explanation of how it works, that makes uh-huh. even less sense. Yeah. <laughs> just go with it. Uh, it's a caveman virus. It does that. It's very much comic book science. Um, so, yeah, uh, this is just uh, exposition that Fraser says, yeah, I've never seen anything like that. I don't know what does this. Uh, and then, yeah, she says, uh, she tells O'Neill that uh, the 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 pr- primitive animals or whatever, like they they tend to like the, the sex thing. That's just like animals do it, and they go for the alpha male of the pack and the leader of their community. She doesn't actually say alpha, uh, thankfully, because that's you know how that's not real science or anything. And you know the threshold of well, I mean this episode is already filled with bullshit non-science anyway. But uh, at least on that front, she doesn't use that. Uh, controversial word i guess uh <laughs> she, yeah she says basically only to be flattered because the fact that she jumped him like that means that she somehow respects him socially enough to see him as a mating partner is some kind of primitive part of her brain which uh, you know not great for women also but uh, there you go okay so yeah uh, now we're in yeah. the control room sorry uh, go on. Uh, yeah, we're in the control room. Um, Daniel is walking up to to talk to O'Neill, and he notices that he's uh, he's hurt. And like O'Neill says, "Yeah, uh, so Carter attacked me," and she, and like Daniel doesn't understand. Um, yeah, so they establish that she's got the, the virus, and uh, that O'Neill had to drag her to the infirmary. And Daniel thinks, "Oh wait, did she attack you? Didn't want to fight you like Johnson did with Tilk." And O'Neill says, oh, no, she actually tried to seduce me. <laughs> Daniel has a pretty funny reaction. Because, like, she... <laughs> anyway, um, it's pretty funny, but also kind of gross. Because, uh, yeah, he says, oh, no, you poor man. Um, and then, yeah, like, this yeah, chunk he... is just vaguely uncomfortable through the next while. Yeah. It's, like, not it's... particularly bad, just... Yeah, it's 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 right under the line where like it's it's just a little haha joke between guys that oh no you've, you know, a lady tried to rape you and she's pretty like that's that sounds terrible or whatever so that's not great um, anyway uh, th- yeah Daniel expresses concern at Carter and says she, he wants to go check up on her and O'Neill you 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 see that he's starting to uh, lose it also because she she gets uh, like. Uh, aggressive at him and and jealous. It's like, well, how how dare you care about her? Do you you, you want to have sex with her? Is, is that it or whatever? In so many words, uh, he starts attacking him and he just tosses him to the ground and starts wailing on him, like in a way that's really pretty scary. Uh, so I, I guess D- Daniel gets the shit kicked out of him. Count two right there, because uh, yeah, it's the the way the the shot. Looks back at uh, O'Neill punch, throwing punches. Looks really brutal. I <laughs> also, I certainly fought. wouldn't like MacGyver to beat the shit out of me. No, no, he looks like he throws a really mean punch, and like they they shot him like really going for it. It it looks like his Daniel shouldn't have a face anymore. Uh, also, and like we're he still falls in Turtle through. Act, Jared, Turtle Neck Era Daniel. So you know we we don't know that he's <laughs> secretly jacked. <laughs> 
Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, he's He only wears long sleeves and stuff. We don't see his body yet. Um, <laughs> yeah, also, he falls, like, through through like a metal shelving unit with TVs on it and stuff like he and the sparks come out he really hurts himself <laughs> uh, but yeah I guess he's fine actually because uh, security takes O'Neill away uh, to, to put him in a different cell and Daniel is sitting with the doctor and he's kind of fine I guess he's getting blood taken from him next to Tilk who's also getting it uh, getting uh, blood uh, blood taken I mean <clears throat> And yeah, uh, Heaven is there, and he's asking questions about this, how this, how does this work? Uh, so uh, Fraser basically gives us some uh, techno babble that the virus makes them release a hormone that stimulates the primitive parts of their brain that makes them uh, more violent and more primitive. Um, and like Daniel finally uh, connects. The two dots, so like the the one line that everyone should have made 15 minutes ago, uh, just like the touch, the caveman on the planet we were at, that's clearly linked and related to this, right? Obviously. And Hammond doesn't seem to understand what he's talking about, weirdly. Uh, even though he, he got the debriefing with them, he should have known what this was about. Um, and like... Yeah, uh, so they figure out, yeah, no, uh, these cavemen are not born cavemen. They have a disease, and uh, we have to, like, figure it out and, and fix it. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, Fraser wonders how come Tilk and Daniel specifically don't have, uh, don't seem affected so far, which seems weird because, you know, she's not either, and <laughs> Uh, General Hammond is right next to them and he seems fine so far so it's like she's right that something about Daniel and Teal'c and her are making them immune but it's just weird that she's like she immediately knows that it's something like that is I guess it's a well I mean I guess they uh, were the only people who went to the planet who hadn't come oh yeah you're right you're right even though it's clearly spreading to people who never went there now yeah so if like people who are getting secondhand exposure Exposure yeah. or having it then, and they haven't had anything yet. Then mm-hmm. it stands to reason there's something happening with them. Yeah, uh, we get uh, they hear O'Neill kind of yelling, so they go and check up on him, and we get to see him uh, kind of going nuts in his cell and uh, just punching and kicking and everything. Uh, they 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 give him some sedatives to knock him out. <clears throat> so it's really bad. Uh, it's bad enough that Hammond. Uh, goes up to his office and uh, picks up the phone and calls our buddy Clinton and tells him, uh, yeah, Bill, hi, <laughs> we, we fucked up here. Uh, we kind of brought a plague back from the, through the Stargate and uh, I've locked down the base. Uh, you should probably put guards up there and shoot anyone that comes out. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Bye. Uh, yeah. I mean, it makes sense that he would make this call. Uh, it's extreme once again it it just seems like the, these are like the measures that that they're they skip over later on when these things happen but they just explicit them in the in season one like yeah uh it's like the the the, the self-destruct that they kept turning on two episodes ago um but now it's yeah shoot on sight anyone who tries to leave because uh they're a sick caveman and they're, they're gonna spread spread a pandemic to the whole earth which is also really funny when you know We've been through an actual pandemic, and you see how little they've actually done to contain it. Uh, sad COVID posting. 
But um, yeah. So yeah, we uh, get a bunch of people saying oh, it's just an allergic reaction. It's completely yeah. normal. And and besides, the caveman needs to socialize. They need to go out there and like participate in the economy. Or how how are we ever going to heal from this virus if we don't let them do that? Right? Oh, look it's, at the intellectuals afraid of being cavemen. It, it, it isn't a yeah. virus that would affect me because I have to take something every day that apparently neutralizes cavemanism. Uh huh. Yeah. Th- there's also that. Uh, except the the horse based stuff actually works in this. Uh yes. Apparently. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. So that's another part of it. Uh, uh, lots of jokes we can make. Anyway. Um. So is there uh, uh, before we go on, is there like an official? quarantine doctrine when they get back from a mission or is it just go through the gate every day and spread whatever they only mention it when it's relevant but yeah they don't i uh there were they mentioned get wool checks later but no no actual nothing is ever said about actual quarantines yeah it's whatever the writers want it to be i think the it's kind of implied that they go on sh- on shifts of duty where they have to stay on base and then they go off duty and can can go off base and go home and whatever. So presumably when they while they're on, they're on duty they're pretty much quarantined to base but it's not like they can't meet anyone from the outside or anything. So I think yeah it, it's pretty lax. Uh they don't they they just let whatever shit roll through as long as we, they don't have an active problem like they do now and like they will have a bunch more times in the future. Uh yeah. So, uh Hammond is talking to Daniel and Tilk in the infirmary. Uh, and Fraser and says, "Okay, uh, Daniel and Teal, you need to go back to this planet and figure it out and do something, because um, uh, they're the only two people who seem to be immune to this, and no one else is. So uh, that's why they need to go there alone." And Fraser tells them, "Okay, uh, if you go there, uh, like so, they figured out that the untouched have probably some kind of immunity to this thing. So." If they get a blood sample from one of the untouched, they might be able to isolate whatever is protecting them and figure something out. Uh, so that's the plan. Uh, only Daniel and Teal'c gear up to go back through the Stargate. Uh, Daniel gives us a good sneeze before stepping through the gate to remind us that he has allergies, which is... Aha, it's significant. He did not uh, have allergies, for... though, on the Mongolia planet. No, it's it's just whenever the plot requires that Daniel has allergies, and like this is the one time where allergies are actually actually there's two there's another episode in season two or three where his allergies are significant to the plot, um, but this is one of them. Uh, so yeah, he's reminding us allergies. I he has those. He takes medicine for it, and that's that's relevant. Um, that so this is when Teal tells him. Uh, hey, don't worry. The the those touched. If you just shoot your gun in the air, it's gonna scare them off, like M- SG3 did last time. Uh, so we're gonna be fine. You can just do that as long as we don't get distracted or your hands aren't busy with anything else or anything. It's gonna be fine. Um, <laughs> so they they step through the gate back to uh, P3X something uh, or the land of the light, as it's known colloquially or gonna be known. Um, yeah, because uh, actually, these people are actually going to come back one time. I think in a I later episode. Co- I hope someone actually etched that into the etched that into their little two D map. Yeah, yeah. This, this is a this land is of light. Land of light slash land of dark. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is just the planet from Metroid Prime 2. Um, so yeah, uh, they go back there. It's one, uh, once again day for night. Uh, it doesn't look very dark at all. Uh, they, they walk out of the Stargate and they find uh, Tuplo's daughter from earlier who's been just like dumped there in the woods. Um, <laughs> and Tilt tells us, yeah, so she's got the virus clearly, which we already knew because uh, they brought her back and put her in that circle of isolation or whatever. Uh, and I was like, oh, wow, unbelievable that they just dump her in the woods like this. They told said, yeah, you well, that they do this. That's the first yeah. thing they told you. <laughs> yeah. But, like, she's their daughter, you know? That's weird. And Tilk Tilk says, well, you dump them in little rooms. Uh, and Daniel, like, instead of... That doesn't want to argue with him or anything, but I, I would argue that, you know, at least from an EPD, um, blah, from a containment standpoint, there's a, there's a difference. You know, the little room at least makes sense uh, as far as isolating the people. Uh, but I, yeah, till basic. I sorry. think if I was turning into a caveman, I would prefer mm-hmm. the woods. If I had to choose, caveman probably like woods better than a small concrete room. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Uh, <laughs> till anyway equivocates. Uh, he says they dump them in the woods. You dump them in cells. It's 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 the same. It's no better. Or whatever he is, I guess his. Uh, Quiet warrior philosophy sees these things as equivalent. I don't know what they do in Chulak in this situation. Probably just shoot them, um, if I had to guess. Uh, and yeah, Daniel compares uh, the the dark side of this planet to a leper colony, uh, which is yeah the the whole touched untouched thing. Uh, that's more explicit when he does makes that comparison. Uh, so yeah, uh, so this this next bit is really weird like because daniel clearly decides that they have to help this lady and carry her uh to safety and tilk is there and he sees him do that but uh he he's like no we shouldn't do that and he starts walking off and it's like he doesn't see or hear him say that he's still gonna carry her because he walks off in front and he seems to assume that daniel still has his gun in his hands because a bunch of the touched who are I should point out now all wearing like furs and stuff you I I guess like they've they've they they hunt animals and wear their skins or something because I don't know why they wouldn't just be wearing their ancient Greek clothes but dirtier and more tattered or whatever yeah we see them eating reverting to to like their animal animal brain thing, they have uh-huh. enough advanced brain to figure out tanning. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah On the yeah, side of the planet are, with no sun. Yeah, the these furs are well tailored actually <laughs> when you get down to it. Yeah, um, and we do see them eating some comically large oh, yeah. bones with meat on them. Uh-huh. So there's that. Uh they 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 are they have reverted to hunter gatherer societies, I guess, but uh still with that uh, animal, animalistic violence that animates them. Um, so yeah, uh, they they come to a bunch to a, like, a group of these cavemen, and Teal'c sees them with his night vision goggles and starts just shooting his gun in the air like he saw uh, Makepeace do earlier. Um, and he's like, "It's fine, it's fine. Just shoot your gun in the air. They're gonna go away." And he doesn't hear or see at all behind him that Daniel, who had 
this lady in his arms uh, was unable to shoot his gun in the air to to uh, scare off the caveman. And I mean, also it stands cave- to reason to Teal that it's like, yeah, I could. She, she's small. I could carry her on one arm. Surely Jandil uh-huh. could do the same. <laughs> yeah. Teal'c has a beefy arm privilege because he doesn't understand what how what situation a dweeb, like a, a nerdy, uh, weaker, younger man would be in in this situation. Um, I, I, but also, like... I appreciate... Sorry. Like, the moment he starts just blasting the gun up in the air to frighten off the cavemen, mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. he's saying is gibberish. To, to Daniel. Uh-huh. Everything he's yeah. hearing is, is null and void. Yeah. Because he's like, he, yeah, he's shooting a gun next to his head. Like, he wouldn't hear it from the noise. It's just not being sold very well by the show. It it looks like he's just ignoring that his friend is getting uh, kick sh- shit kick beat out of him, number three, right behind him at this point. Uh, even though, like, yeah, he was so shooting his gun was enough to frighten them off. But Daniel was standing right behind behind him, and apparently that wasn't enough to scare off the mob of cavemen that were creeping up behind them, uh, which seems weird. But anyway, the you know, cavemen felt Daniel. the cavemen felt secured by Teal's broad shoulders. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a very good uh, sound shield that's Perhaps. blocking them from hearing. Perhaps if this episode had been, like, scored, if the audio had been done in the same style as Michael Mann's Heat, mm-hmm. that would have yeah. gone a long way. Uh, yeah, because, yeah, it was, you, don't, you don't really get a blast out of your subwoofer from this. It's, it's very uh, TV speaker from the 90s. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so after all this, it's so that the cavemen have knocked Daniel out and dragged him and this lady away with them. Uh, for one can only assume gross purposes, um, and like yeah, this is when Teal turns around and finally realizes that Daniel is gone and he fucked up. Um, no good. Uh, we get we get a little scene back on Earth where they've apparently run out of cells to stick people in, and now Hammond has it, and uh, Fraser is still fine, and uh, the couple orderlies that are with her are also still fine. Um, but we get uh sedated uh, caveman Teal'c in the corner of his cell who's like uh, not moving much because he's been shut up uh, like an elephant on tranquilizers uh, he, and he's uh, regained enough uh, brain function essentially to uh, form some basic words uh, kind of croaks them out so he has difficulty saying it uh, Richard Dean Anderson does a like solid job doing this weird kind of acting in this episode. Like you, you need to act like a caveman who's having trouble talking, and also you're you're on tranquilizers and you're trying to fight off passing out at the same time. And he he kind of sells it. <laughs> he he does like weird broad gestures, and everything seems hard to him, and it's hard for him to talk. Um, anyway, he, he sticks his arm out at Fraser and asks for more tranquilizer. Um, and she, yeah, so she, she relents and, uh, agrees to do this. And he starts asking, uh, more questions when he's more tranquilized. And she, uh, she gets that, uh, the more tranquilized at him, the more it knocks out the, his primitive brain and that it lets his, uh, modern, brain come come forward and lets him have more abstract thought i guess um 
so she talks to him a little bit and he manages to like yeah <laughs> he manages to ask questions about what this thing is which uh allows Fraser to give us some exposition uh and i think this is when she, yeah she she mentioned that uh, it's a virus that breaks down histamine which if you know science words is histamine is the hormone i think that uh makes your uh nose run and sniffle and it's what you have when you have allergies um it's what gives you allergies it's also what gives you colds when you have cold symptoms uh so yeah yeah but she doesn't explain it right now so it's only if you understand this these things um but yeah, uh, O'Neill asks uh, Fraser to experiment on him, and she refuses. Basically, um, Tilk is with the with the untouched in their nice little temple place, uh, and he starts. Okay, he should have like opened with "Give me some of your blood," because he starts with "Hey, what the fuck? You left your daughter in the woods with a caveman, and she's fucked up over there now." And he kind of like judges them for this and says, no, you abandoned her. She's not dead. She could be cured. It's a disease. You can figure it out. You shouldn't have left it there. And uh, he's upset because he's like to them, when once they catch this disease, they're dead. They're, they're already grieving their daughter. It's really hard for them. His Klingon uh, honor just can't understand it. Yeah, and he's like, no, you are without heart if you can let go of your daughter so easily. Uh, and they, at this point, they're basically in full fuck off mode, uh, which is yeah. when he decides it would be a good time to say, "Hey, so can I have some blood, please?" <laughs> I, just, I just like how their to- their total thing for this literally is: it's like, no, we are wealthy and f- whatever reason have genetic immunity, so y'all could just fuck off. That that rings yeah, very th- true after our pandemics. Yeah, there's also that. It's like, uh, we haven't caught it yet, so we're never gonna actually, so you should fuck off and we're gonna, like, e- we're gonna even, like, forget that har- that we could have saved our daughter if we'd had a cure and just move on from this and hope that nothing happens to us because we're good, rich people. Uh, the, the, the only, like, these two people and their four guards and their daughter are the only non-cavemen we we see on this planet. It's 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 a it's a really weird thing that they they they're implying a whole off-screen society that we that we never see that's just represented by these. Um, but yeah, they don't take his uh, request for their blood very kindly, especially since they pull out some oh blood is sacred we don't give it out for whatever. Um, so yeah, they they basically tell him to leave. He goes, "Okay, I'm For, going to just cementing walk the va- up these stairs." Sorry. Further cementing the theory that it's not cavemen, they're vampires. <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh so uh <laughs> Tilk does a a cunning gambit by calmly walking up the stairs and then butting with one of the guards in the face with with his rifle and then turning and grabbing the other guy's spear and and just punching him and knocking him out with the spear and then just taking some blood from one of the guards instead it's fine it's all good uh we these guards by the way i should we were absolutely Sorry. robbed of a scene of dr fraser teaching teal how to take blood uh-huh yeah it's what <laughs> i wanted he's, he's yeah he does the thing with the little rubber band tied around the arm and the, the little pump syringe thing that just you pop it in and it just because yeah he fills actually up with has right decent technique yeah, he seems to do it well. It it actually looks like he's maybe actually drawing blood from this guy, which seems insane that he'd be really doing that for a TV show. I don't know if he's actually doing it, but 
He's looks probably close not, but no. it looks like it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they, they cut right before he sticks the needle in, so they don't show the blood being filling the, the thing. Uh, these guards, I should mention, big, beefy dudes wearing, like, it's hard, like, aprons with one strap around the opposite shoulder and nothing else. A little, like, leather cap, some, some wrestling boots, and a spear. It's, they are something. Uh, <laughs> they look very cheap. One of them, like, his outfit is bright blue. Um, anyway, I just felt like mentioning it. Funny yeah. costumes. Teal's. Um, Teal'c asks for blood from these scrawny people, and uh-huh. they say no, and then he turns and he sees these two big beefcakes. Yeah. His eyes turn into blood bags. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, uh, he won't feel bad about knocking these guys out and stealing their blood either. They're tough. They can recover, not like uh, this middle-aged couple he would otherwise have to knock out to get it from them, and also still have to fight off the guards if he did that. Um so we're at caveman camp. Uh, that, this is a very short scene where Daniel is trying to crawl away from there, and the the cave people just grab him and and uh, pull him back. Um, yeah. So back on Earth, Tilk has managed like the the place is still operational enough to receive a Stargate activation and open the iris for him. Uh, we don't see that; it's just implied, I guess. Uh, but he walks into the infirmary, which is in complete pandemonium. Uh, even though we still see like a healthy amount of staff in the infirmary that is not affected by the virus, uh, but all the beds oh. seem to be full. So you just made me think of something. Mm-hmm. There are presumably other SG teams on other planets that during during this whole thing. Oh yeah. What are they getting when they're open when they're calling when they're trying to come? I home? don't know. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. My my assumption like, is you probably shouldn't let them right now. <laughs> Yeah, my my assumption is that when Hammond like uh, made the call for lockdown, he dialed the gate to every other team that was currently off world and like contacted them to say that hey, hey Earth is on quarantine right now. Don't co- don't come back unless we tell you to. So there, there's some fun stories about the people over there being just stranded in another Vancouver forest, just waiting to hear news from Earth, not knowing if Earth is, even still exists. At this point, because of the virus they brought back. Well, the other teams brought back. Yeah, SG2 comes through the gate, sees a couple of dead guys on the ground. They're like, you know what? We're going to head back to the uh, Mesopotamia (laughs) planet. Freddy goes, yeah, I'm I'm just going to go back to not showing up on this show. Back to this planet. Let's Um, go to our uh, high school world history planet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All all the unseen planets where nothing happens, it's it's just like a piece of cake. There's there's nothing. It's it's the easy missions for them, until they become the backstory for another episode, which is oh, an SG team all died on this planet. Go figure it out. Um, anyway, so Tilk uh, walks back to the infirmary uh, and hands some blood to Fraser. That's pretty much yeah. There's not much else to say about this episode, uh, this scene, except. Uh, yeah, Fraser is overwhelmed. Uh, Teal then goes up to O'Neill, who is still very sedated, and uh, he wants to apologize to him for losing Daniel, <laughs> which is, you know, uh, that's sad. I for, first day with Daniel duty, and I lost him. Sorry, uh, <laughs> I'm a bad babysitter. Um, okay, so, so yeah, the day Daniel didn't die, you did good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. 
He might be dead as far as they know. He's still alive, but, you know, it's so hard to keep the little boy alive. It's so hard. I understand now, O'Neill. It's so hard to be a dad to a team. Um, <laughs> uh, then then Fraser uh, walks into the room excitedly because she figures something out. Uh, and like it's weird because she goes up to talk to O'Neill and gives him all the big million dollar thousand dollar words uh, about histamines and everything and she's figured out that all the peop- the the virus breaks down histamine and the blood sample they got had really low histamine levels and the and like Fraser and Daniel didn't get the virus because they have allergies and they take antihistamines which is the you know Claritin uh, the medication that makes you not sneeze a lot when you have allergies uh, so <laughs> it turns out that's the cure for the virus right there uh, just like high concentrations of liquid Claritin and syringes. Just it's, uh, give it's that funny, to people. Daniel, he would Jack would not have understood this even if he wasn't mm-hmm. a caveman. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, he like he would understand things like allergy pills fight virus, <laughs> but megadoses of, of chlorpheniramine malleate. That's not even norm. Even like I don't understand these words. Normal Jack doesn't understand these words. It just means Claritin in a syringe. Um, so yeah, she she gives she gives that to, to Jack along with apparently a bunch of uh, more tranquilizers to knock him out, uh, and he just has a little nappy nap, and then he we he awakens uh, and Tilk is outside uh, the cell and he knocks on the door and says, "Hey, I'm back." And he says, "Lucy, I'm home." I am not Lucy. And he thinks that uh, O'Neill is still. <laughs> sick somehow because he said something that doesn't make sense and he called him a name that he's that's not his name uh good uh good bit of tilk not getting earth culture and references uh but yeah to be fair (laughs) o'neill's not even referencing like a sitcom currently airing in the 90s no yeah he's referencing a 50s sitcom and you know tilk is like in his 80s or whatever but he didn't live the 50s on Earth, so there's no way he'd be familiar with that. I'm not even sure, like, Daniel wouldn't get that preference if he, if he was the one getting it. Uh, it's pretty outdated. Yeah, you're right. Um, well, yeah, uh, he, he says basically for crying out loud and, like, gets a little angry, and that's what convinces Tilk that this is the real O'Neill. And so he opens the, he opens the door... And, uh, yeah, O'Neill just basically runs out and says, yeah, let's go tell the doctor this is the cure. Uh, and we cut to the gate being dialed, and everyone is fine now. Uh, we see Hammond, like, in the process of tying up his vest and straightening his tie, as if he just got done being getting dressed and went straight to the control room. Um, but, yeah, he's back in control of himself, even though we didn't get a good caveman Hammond scene, which feels like a waste. Um uh, so yeah, they 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 gear out SG1 minus Daniel and three with uh, tranquilizer guns with those Claritin darts that they can go to that planet and shoot all the cavemen they see. Uh, well, O'Neill says shoot only the ones that are in the way to get to Daniel, and then we'll just give those guns, I guess, to the untouched so that they can take care of the rest. Uh, c- considering we don't know how many implied off-screen people are involved it's weird that that's i don't know if there's only like a dozen people on this planet or a million uh but anyway 
something about the numbers. Cape and Daniel just looks so happy. Oh yeah, he's having a grand old time. He's sitting around the fire with caveman daughter of Tuplo. They're eating meat off of these big, gigantic, bloody bones. Like this meat looks raw, and he's just having his nice meal with his nice new girlfriend around the campfire and he's just doing some great caveman acting he's just like kind of squatting he's he's got the the makeup on uh i don't know how long it took for his allergy medication to run out and him to get the virus but he's all the way gone by now uh so don't think about it too hard whatever this is a very fast resolution to the episode uh they get there and weirdly enough Carter decides, hey, for our buddy Daniel, let's not shoot him with a dart. Let's just physically go there with a hand syringe and stick it in him, even though he's currently a caveman that's going to try to rip my throat out if I try to get near him. But uh, she doesn't get that far. Uh, as she goes forward and, like, Daniel obviously kind of le- starts leaping towards her, uh, the I think O'Neill just shoots him with a dart and, yeah, Teal shoots... Uh, the girl next to him. Um, Melosha is her name, sorry. She was mentioned in uh, in dialogue, but she doesn't get any dialogue of her own. Uh, so yeah, they they shot them with darts. They <laughs> We just cut to them barging into uh, the temple from earlier with Teal holding Daniel over his shoulders. And uh, Tuplo and his wife are there like, no, 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 wait, what are you doing? You're bringing these people in here? What? What? No. Um, knock knock yeah, your the, religion is a lie <laughs> knock knock hi we figured it out we found the cure uh, it's off the counter off the shelf medication in every drugstore we have on earth actually so it's totally fine we can solve your problem for you easily at low expense um, so yeah <laughs> Tuplo tells them to put Daniel down in the isolation circle which is their designated curing area we mentioned earlier so yeah, they put him down there, and then they explain uh, to them, "Hey, um, that that that's the virus, uh, f- the, the curse. Uh, so we have this thing that can just undo everything. It's fine." We cut to a little bit later, and Daniel is completely cured and wakes up. Um, yeah, and they 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 tell the touch that uh, they can just show them how to use these darts to to cure the rest of them. Uh, they're, I guess they're still skeptical, so they go, uh, they see that Daniel has woken up, uh, so I guess that, uh, that, yeah, that's a pretty strong argument there, uh, and they, they take, uh, Tuplo and his wife over to the Terminator line, where, uh, night turns into day, and they see a bunch of the cavemen they shot in the dark side, uh, walking out of there, uh, one of them is an old man who is, uh, the... Tuplo's wife's dad. Uh, he's dubbed over because he's played by an old extra, and like he kind of laughs, and it's very obvious that it's it's dubbed over. I don't know why. Uh, that's not much of a, an important point. It's just something I noticed. Um, and yeah, Tuplo sees his daughter. He hugs her and everything. Everyone's happy, uh, and we end the episode for some with some light sexual harassment. <laughs> uh, Hell yeah! It's so weird. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's uh, this is this conversation is really uncomfortable because okay, the first thing that happens is um, Carter goes goes to apologize 
to O'Neill for the essentially attempted rape that happened earlier. Uh, fair enough. Uh, O'Neill plays it off like, oh, don't worry about it. I don't even remember. It's fine. We're cool. I know it was just a virus. Uh, let's just pretend none of this happened. Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, Carter likes like, oh, yeah, whew, good. I'm glad. Yeah, uh, we can just uh, move, uh, move, move past this. Uh, then when you ask her what's 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 her is is her wound okay? Because oh yeah, we uh, didn't mention it, but she got stabbed by her cellmate, I guess, uh, in the gut. Um, so that's what he's asking about, and uh, she says, "Yeah, no, it was superficial. Uh, it won't even leave a scar." And then O'Neill ends the episode by saying, "Oh, good, because I was worried that if you were hurt too bad, you'd never wear that tank top again." And just he just walks past the camera and she stands behind and kind of stares at him and kind of just slaps it off and that's the end of the episode and god damn it no that's, you're, that's you're her not okay no not it's okay, not okay man. you're you're her boss you just like this is blatant sexual harassment come on ah uh, yeah that's just one of the many things about this is <laughs> this is not the worst uh instance of uh bad sexualization of women on this show uh, especially in season one but it's clearly one of the straws that eventually broke amanda tapping's back and made her make the show better with this stuff uh I, yeah i can't I cleared the very low bar set by last the last episode yeah exactly it's it's nowhere near as bad as last episode was about everything uh it's still there uh but it's you know it's a joke at the end of the episode, and we're going to have forgotten about it by next episode. And also, weirdly enough, this is them trying to plant the seed for a Jack-Sam ship that they're going to be better about handling later on. But it's it's a real choice to start this off by having a virus thing that makes one of them try to rape the other and then have a weird sex joke about it later. It's, yeah. Anyway... Yeah. That was the Broca Divide. It's over. It's, so yeah, uh it's it's not it's not my favorite episode either. It's uh, near the bottom of the barrel, I would say. It's just coming right after emancipation, this one just flew by. It's it's fun, it's it's schlocky, it has a uh weird story. It's also very much like a Star Trek episode. Uh Jimmy Dean, you like you pointed out to me there's an episode that is directly like this in TNG where people do turn into cavemen. Is it just I... Riker or is it everyone? No, so so I believe that episode is called Genesis. Uh-huh. Uh, they all revert or change into different animals. So, oh yeah, that's the that's the one where where Worf turns into a weird bug thing. Correct, right? Uh, Pica- yes, Picard is beginning to transform into like a squirrel. Like, uh-huh. like he has a very like scareful like he's very scared, uh, like a weasel. Uh-huh. And uh, mm-hmm. God, who's it? Uh, the the guy that's always in the hologram, even more than Riker. Um, oh yeah, Barkley. Yeah, Barkley. Barkley turns into a spider, right? Yes. Something yes. like that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Diana, I think, becomes a fish. <laughs> yeah, oh, this this is all ringing a lot of bells. I do remember that episode now. Uh, yeah, I mostly remember that, like, Worf turns into like a primordial uh, Klingon uh, animal from Kronos, and it's just the most 
the scariest fucking thing you can think of. It's some some kind of dinosaur that spits acid and everything, and it's like super dangerous. Uh, <laughs> of yeah. course, it would be. They they all are reverting to their like primordial animal version. Uh, that's why all uh-huh. the humans are doing some variation on uh, apes or what mm-hmm. have you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Riker is a caveman in that episode. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the the ones I was I was thinking of it's is it's also similar to the Naked Time from TOS or the Naked Now from TNG, which is basically a sequel to that, uh, which are episodes where a virus uh, makes uh, the crew drop their inhibitions. So it's it's kind of similar, like especially the early stages of that, where they get horny and weird and confrontational. That's that's the episode where uh, Sulu goes through the episode with a. Uh, fencing foil and starts uh, trying to like poke people with it. I mean, so. <laughs> Deep Space Nine also had one of those episodes. Oh yeah, they they sure went back to that. Well, anyway, it's the it's a pretty classic TV sci-fi schlocky plot that they just reused for this. Um, and yeah, next episode is called the First Commandment, and the thing they're going to rip off for that one is Heart of Darkness, which is also the thing that is basically adapted as the movie Apocalypse Now, if you were wondering. A story about uh, army people, uh, an army person fucking losing it in in, uh, native territory and starting to believe that they're a god and everything. So have fun with that one. Uh, We'll see about that next week. Uh, We have a few questions that we got this week. Uh, So uh, let's let's answer them. Uh, Aurora Borealis asks... What stuff would you take a caveman to so he could have a fun time? Like that Polly Shore movie, but good. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I would give a caveman a Dorito and uh, they they would not believe, like, it would be flavor blast them more than a thousand meals or whatever that joke was about. Uh, first of all, first of all, Encino yeah. Man is great. <laughs> How dare they? It's not just a Pauly Shore movie. It's also a Sean Astin and Brendan Fraser movie. That's right. You're right. <laughs> How dare uh, they okay. defame Encino Man? Okay, but I would allow a caveman to wheeze the juice. <laughs> uh, anyone else? Uh, what, what would you do with a caveman? Frankly, just based on this episode, just just let the cavemen have a nice campfire. They they yeah, were they were having that's a great all they time want, there. right? <laughs> they they just want a campfire, big hunk of meat, and to rape a lady. Maybe not that part. Maybe, maybe um, not that part. But you know, the campfire <laughs> at the end that was much less rapey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going to be optimistic and positive and presume my caveman isn't a rape monster. Uh, I bring two <laughs> things. The first is uh-huh. that like goopy gack hand thing that you would get in school mm-hmm. i think a oh, caveman yeah. would love that just swinging it oh yeah uh so cool the second would be a bop it <laughs> i could i could show the caveman the different things and he would just have a blast bopping it uh-huh. shaking it twisting it yeah yeah i don't know I, I wonder how long it would take for like because Depending on if it's if it's a Homo sapiens sapiens, they could they have the same capacity to learn as we do. So once you once they understand what each uh, appendage of the boppet is used for, they could learn to play it pretty quickly. I feel like so that could be a fun time. Um, anyway, uh, Chinchi McChilla, which is uh, Zach, who was on last episode, asks, "Do you think cavemen were more or less horny than modern humans?" Uh, I think 
I think they were about the same amount of horny, but they were maybe less inhibited about it. Is the the main difference? They just went for it that they didn't have society uh, and rules and stuff. Uh, I think actually they had they had societies. It it was just not the same form as it is now. But I think it's the same level of libido. It's just mm-hmm. everything cut out in the middle. It isn't like yeah. I, I I hope she in, accepts my invite to prom. I hope she accepts mm-hmm. the second date. No, it's just everything's jumping ahead to child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Child yeah, in just you. Fucking have baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah same that, libido, but less repression. Yeah, that's 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 what I was getting at. It's uh, like the physical as the physical part. The same thing. It's just all this the stuff that gets in the way wasn't there as much. Uh, he also asks. Also, do you think cavemen would wear masks for COVID? Uh, I bet if you explain to a caveman that wearing a mask is good, they wouldn't have a problem with it. But you'd have to sit them down and like establish communication and explain it to them. Because uh, if you just like try to put a, a paper mask on a caveman without an explanation, it wouldn't stay there for long. They wouldn't like it. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I I don't think like fashion wise they would enjoy something that restrictive being on them. No. No, I think if but you I mean, if you made them a mask that was like a battle mask, but say served mm-hmm. the exact same purpose, uh, oh, yeah. medically, they would love that. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I, I think, mean, you by know. default, they had to be very. They were very communal, so you yeah, know, exactly. As, as soon it, as you establish you, this as a thing that's going to help everyone around you, right. That, that, that's the thing. If you can, if you can have a language where you can actually explain to them, hey, if you wear this, you and everyone else you meet is going to be less sick. Once you, once you can t- tell them that, they'd be like, oh, sick, awesome, like give me that, because they were all about innovations. I mean, I guess there were, there were probably like. Uh, reactionaries back then too who would have been like i don't want this because it's new and whatever but i think i don't trust i don't trust this whole fire thing yeah agriculture just seems like a heap of trouble for nothing uh but yeah i think the average neolithic or paleolithic caveman if you explain masks to them would happily wear them um, yeah, bronze tools are nice, but you don't really get the same craftsmanship with stone <laughs> tools. I just like cutting, like cutting stones, not polishing it. Forget, fuck out of here with your polishing. I uh, see. I um, I don't even know if I would even approach germ theory like diseases with them. I would just lie and go, "You got to wear this yeah. mask because otherwise, the curse it, it jumps down your throat. Yeah, it, it goes in your mouth. Yeah. This this magic curse. Yeah, what, yeah. What, yeah, what if? You, you're going to use, like, simplified language on this. Yeah. But, like, the same general idea of wear this and you you will less likely get sick. And so uh-huh. will everyone yeah. around you. Yeah, I think that idea can be communicated. Um, of course, you know, language barrier is a hell of a thing, but, you know. Uh, you need to gen- wear a mask to keep the giraffes out of your nose. That's what worked for <laughs> Athena. Of course. Uh <laughs> Athena, my daughter, I'm, I'm, not the I'm Greek glad, I'm, I'm glad that worked. Yeah, my kids, it was just you need to wear a mask on the bus because of the coronavirus, and they understand that the virus is bad, and you don't want to you don't want to catch the virus, so they got it. Um, anyway, uh, Jasmine Marsh asks, "How would you design a cool setting for a Metroid Echo style magic duality planet for the crew to hit up?" Oof. Uh, that's well, a tough what, question. What? What? Uh, is, what? I understood 
the first three words, and then oh. the rest was... Sorry. <clears throat> How would you design a cool setting for a Metroid Echo-style magic duality planet for the crew to hit up? If there was a magic planet with two things, <laughs> what would be a cool, I- cool idea for that, I guess, as a question? I don't know. Uh, maybe like a, a f- you know a Mario-style uh, lava and ice planet where there's one side of the planet that's ice, the other that's lava. That would be a fun thing for an adventure I mean, I, to I, have. I, ice and fire are, like, s- sick, so... Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, you want that. Uh, here's mine. Uh, one mm-hmm. one part of this planet is completely supernatural and magic. Uh, the other uh-huh. is pure science and technology. Oh, nice. That's some high-concept shit right there, like, some high-concept sci-fi fantasy stuff. I like it. Okay, so this one... Uh, it would also be a rhythm game where this part of the planet is a little bit country, and then the other side of the planet is a little bit rock and roll. Yeah, it's a battle of, and they're at war with each other. They just the tensions have have been building for generations, and now they've come to blows. And SG One needs to uh, negotiate a truce between them. Now, if we're going to make a specific two two sided planet for S for SG One to go to. Mm-hmm. One side is desert, and the other side is Vancouver Forest. <laughs> yeah, I mean that would be, they, they could do anything they need to do on this planet. They they could just have every episode take place there. That would be an ideal planet for them. Um, if you want to send any questions for future episodes, you can leave a comment on uh, the Twitter, which is at JaffaTix, or you can send an email to jaffatakespodcast at gmail.com uh, you can also reach my personal twitter at the real simben if you want to just uh, check out what I'm up to generally and not necessarily all Stargate related um, Eric is there anything you want to plug uh, anime Sika's podcast that is all thank you M anything uh, you can find me on Twitter at Amophili. Yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. about it. Uh, Jimmy Dean, how was Eurovision? Uh, Eurovision was great. Uh, I think Spain should have won. Uh, mm-hmm. It was fantastic. Yes. Uh, two great. things. I want to circle back mm-hmm. to that first question on what would you okay. bring a caveman. In terms of ingestibles, I would absolutely okay. bring a hot uh, jar of queso. I would love for a caveman to... <laughs> To experience the sheer delight, the the joy oh, of queso. Oh yeah, oh yeah, so good. Some with some Tostitos. Mm-mm. Very good. Yes. Uh, as mentioned before, I have a Twitter. I will never mention on here because I work for the government mm-hmm. in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, what mm-hmm. I will talk about is everyone should watch RRR because it's on streaming now and it's, oh, it's yeah. available. Uh, it's maybe the best action movie I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I see. I've seen the Patrick Williams video about it, and it seems like everything. Not, it seems like a lot. <laughs> not an ounce of hyperbole in that video. He's right on the uh-huh. money. It's that good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> looks like it. That w- I might have to check that out at some point. Um, okay, uh, and that's it for the Broker Divide. Uh, as I said, join us next week for the First Commandment and Uncree.